program you're about to hear was recorded in October of last year for patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, a.k.a. Hot Dog Club. Now, over there, you can get tons of movie clubs just like this one. And in this episode, it's Jake Shears and Karen from Finance joining me for an in-depth discussion about the Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin classic, 9 to 5. Coming soon to movie club, James St. James and Rod Thomas for Fatal Beauty, the Whoopi Goldberg classic. A lost episode featuring Devin Green and I discussing everything about This Is Spinal Tap. Tammy Brown joining me to gab about everything to do with her favorite movie, Tootsie. And there's plenty more in the vault, which you get access to immediately once you go to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, sign up, and slide on into the Thunderbuns, you know, of Hot Dog Club. So here we are, beaming in on satellite feeds. We have uh, Jake Shears in New Orleans. Hello, Jake. Hi. How's it going? Good, thanks. How you doing? Excellent. Thank you. Good, good. And Karen from Finance, of course, from Melbourne, Australia. From the spare room in my mom and dad's house in the suburbs of Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> Which just happens to be wallpapered exactly like the uh, 9 to 5 <laughs> setup. Amazing wallpaper, actually. Yeah, that is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> for those just listening at home he was obscuring lily tomlin so the picture the vista is of the office as uh, one would walk in and see the ladies or as dabney coleman's character frank hart considers them his girls does everyone have a beverage i saw karen has a beverage jake do you want to get one do you want to get something um, to uh yeah yeah i'll just i'll just you know get some, refill my water add a girl <laughs> girl. Oh, you are revved up and ready to go. You got the quotes ready to file. Pew, 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 pew. And also, I wanted to quote it specifically to Jake because he has a song called At a Girl that's on a, in a project that maybe we can't reveal yet, or maybe we can. I do. Yeah, there is. I, well, I, I will, let's not reveal what project it is, but okay. I did write okay. a song called At a Girl. Can we say who you wrote it with? Uh, no, it's no. okay. Even, no, 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 no. <laughs> can't give specifics. Any detectives out there, look up any big deal project that he's involved in and you might figure it out. But uh, you never, you didn't hear it from us. So we're going to start off with Frankie Moore, who actually inspired this movie clip. So Frankie, thank you. Frankie begins with bonjour, bonjour, and bonjour, Craig, Karen, and Jake. Hope you all are enjoying your favorite flavored beverage, whether it's iced tea or a nice hot cuppa. Now, by the way, what is everyone drinking? Obviously, I'm drinking the standard issue iced tea to Java brand. Karen, what are you having? I have myself a cup of uh, cocoa Nespresso. Wow, Ooh. interesting. And of course, Jason is saying water. So we'll go with water. Uh, <laughs> Frankie continues with, first off, 9 to 5 is probably one of my favorite movies. Three phenomenal leading ladies kicking ass and taking names. It's hard to find characters like this, and I really appreciate the fact that this movie was made, and in 1980, no less. Yeah, let's uh, pause there for a second before we continue with Frankie's thing. So it came out in 1980. It's uh, sadly way too timely 40 years later and it's still yeah as relevant as ever relevant as ever and also do you know that this was the second highest grossing film of 1980 yeah second only to star wars yeah that's right <laughs> yes yeah empire strikes back 
and then nine to five. Yeah, I had no idea it was that big of a of a of a hit theatrically. You know, there's a lot of people who relate to it. In the commentary track, they talk about how men loved it too, and then they talk about why kids love it, and that's mainly to do with Dabney Coleman being in the hoist and also falling off of his chair, and, and the cartoon stuff. Frankie adds, this movie got me through a really tough time with a boss and actually opened up an interesting conversation with my mother about workplace misogyny in all different forms. The bullshit with promoting bros that are underqualified to having to do work you shouldn't have to is more common than it should be, even now. Like that scene where he's making sure his desk crap will spill over so he can get a glimpse of Dora Lee's chest. What a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. This stems from one of the more interesting parts of the film when the office workers start rumors against each other, specifically Dora Lee, which is also reinforced in Hart's behavior. I appreciate the nuance of the misogyny and how it's not just the people in power, but the other people in that environment that use misogynistic behavior to make themselves feel better, even though they all feel like shit. Yeah, what do you, what do you all think about that? No words. You're stunned. You're shocked. <laughs> You're stunned because Frankie put it so perfectly. I think it's. I think that's a really astute and eloquent read on on the whole movie, and I think it's really interesting thinking about the sort of all the B characters in the film and all those people that are sort of enabling this all to go on. I mean, Roz being you know number one, of course, but sure. I think it's a really cool read. When they shun Dora Lee, it's a way for them to put their frustrations that they can't throw on to the person that they belong to. Yes. And, it, and this is something that happens all the time. People's anger and everything, it just gets put on an easy target, which Dora Lee is, because they are also making up fantasies about her. Yes, Hart is spreading rumors about them sleeping together, but also they think that she has some kind of like easy deal. Yeah, it's almost like it's a way for them to um, to, to to put on this pressure onto Dorley so they may, they feel better about their own individual situations as well. You know, we yeah. obviously dive into her character more than anyone else in the movie, but when you look at the lineup of desks, every single woman behind each of those desks have their, have their own story going on. So it's like they're projecting, you know, their anger as well onto Doralee. Those environments too are terrible, open plan offices. They, uh, they only foster um, paranoia and spying. Have y'all ever been in an open plan office as far as like worked in one? I did briefly at a couple. And then I, thankfully, when I worked at that, that company I worked at this podcast for, uh, I was thankfully in the, uh, the barn but they were all on an open plan thing. And oof, you, you could see the, uh, the, the trouble spilling out. How about you, Karen? Yeah, I've only worked in one office like that. And it was about 12 years ago, I think. Um, and I just remember, yeah, I remember the, not only the open planners, but being able to see everyone's computer screens and having someone walk behind you and kind of creep over your shoulder and look at what you were doing. It's just you know, awful, a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I remember being in one office where in each corner, one of us was and then there was someone like uh, auditing the department someone who really wasn't qualified but was like related to somebody one of those things i noticed that they kept leaning over to try to see what was going on on the computer so i i put a row of post-its on top it said something about like nobody likes a spy or something like that <laughs> they stopped or it was like in massive font you know because you also lose your mind in certain jobs where there's a lot of um chicanery going on there's nothing like a little bit of passive aggressive office culture is there oh no there isn't actually it reminds me of one of my favorite moments not favorite in, in the experience but at that same job i used to uh, divvy up the hour lunch break into shorter breaks because i smoked then and I didn't want to hang out for an hour either downstairs or drive to some restaurant. I uh, you know, scattered them throughout the day. And then the boss of my department told me one day during my performance review that uh, the executive who was on the same floor 
uh, had mentioned that they were really concerned about how often I was outside. I knew she was lying. So I just waited and I said, I'm so sorry. I won't. So then I, I called him and I went over and I sat down and I went, you know, listen, uh, Michelle told me and I, I'm really, I just want to apologize. And I didn't specify what it was. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, what you, you were concerned about me being outside a few times a day because I guess, you know, your picture window looks over the area, the smoking area. And well, see, I did you my lunch and I explained it to him. And uh, he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, but Michelle told, no, Michelle told me. You know, Michelle told me that, that you, you were upset about that. Two minutes later, after I sit down, she gets a call and she has to, she hurriedly rushes out and she never said anything like that to me again. Like she was, she got her ass ripped. By. <laughs> wow. I mean, like, what's the point, first of all, of doing that? She was a nightmare anyway. But uh, it sounds like I really enjoyed that job, doesn't it? <laughs> Frankie adds, I do wish that there was more representation in the movie with the main characters in terms of race. It is America, not Stepford. But at the time, I think this movie was probably revolutionary and still is revolutionary in certain respects. Yeah, I think also it's probably an age of the times, you know. I think if they were making 9 to 5 the movie now, which they absolutely could do because not all that much has changed in office culture, sure. I'm sure there would the representation would be a lot better. But, you know, 40 years ago, it uh, kind of is what it is, unfortunately, isn't it? They are making nine to five right now. Actually, I don't know if y'all know this, uh, but yeah, there, there's, there's another nine to five movie in production. Wow! So it's a remake of the original. Yeah, but apparently, apparently, last I heard, they're all in it. Oh, it, it just it scares the hell out of me <laughs> to think about it. it just it's, it's so Dolly, Jane, and Lily are are back, like you know, showing the showing the younger girls like. Oh, how, yeah, to how to do it. Do it. Uh, there's a big risk potential here. Yeah, it just doesn't sound, it doesn't <laughs> sound great. But I mean, it's like, I think it's like, well, I think they might have already filmed it. Oh, wow. wow. This, there's been rumors flying around for about 12 months, but I didn't realize it was actually in production. I, I'm scared as well. <laughs> I think it's, it's, I just think it's such a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's, just really like, <laughs> it's making me sweat. It's just yeah, you're, like, I, I can't you're visibly even. uncomfortable. Visibly uncomfortable. Yeah, you're having a little. Uh, to quote your a meltdown. It's uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it is troubling when they do that thing where it's like we're bringing back the old characters. They're not the stars, but they're going to be in it. Some they were kicking around ideas for many years. Uh, there was one in the '80s called Washington Girls, which was going to be written and directed by Colin Higgins the direct writer and director of this and best little whorehouse in Texas and foul play. But no one really was that enthused about it apparently. And also then sadly, Colin Higgins died of AIDS. It'd be nice if it was more diverse. Uh, thankfully this film is way less disturbing than a lot of other comedies from that time. It would be great if the movie was more diverse, although it is uh, like, I'm very thankful that it still ages beautifully you know, there's nothing yeah. like, like there's there's nothing in it that's just like, oh god, like there's nothing embarrassing in it. No shocking dialogue or anything like that. Mm-mm. Thankfully, on that note, which of the ladies would you be if this was cast with you in it? I see myself more as Violet with my fashion and wry wit, and uh, the transformation from kimono to blazer with the pin perfection. Who would you uh, who would you pick, Jake, if you were in a revival production? Of nine to five, maybe what like character? a touring company dinner theater sort of thing. Char- character wise, yes, I'd be Dora Lee. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it was going to be a fight. <laughs> I mean, like, I, but she's you know she sings and she uh, 
you know, she, she's, she's, she's Southern and bubbly. And uh, I just feel like there's, I don't know. I think so. I mean, that's what, how about, how about y'all? I'm actually glad that you said, Dor- I mean, of course, Doralee's kind of the go-to, but I think, I think Judy is more my story. I think mm. I like how she starts really like quaint and really victimized, but really like takes control and her character really grows as the movie goes on. And I think, I think that's more my story. That is very Karen from finance. That's very out of office, right? It's very Karen from finance. It's very out of office. Yeah. Oblivious to the goings on until, you know, until it's crunch time and then she stands up. Yeah. I think I would have to go for, uh, for Violet then because of the kimono. Yeah. Because of the kimono. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also it would make sense that if you two, if the three of us were in it, right, in the, in the touring road company, dinner theater production, that uh, you two have snagged those roles. So I would either do that or take delight in playing Frank Hart. Ooh. They're all juicy roles, like all yeah. three of them. They're all great characters. There's no, none of them. That's what's the, the magic of this movie is there's nobody, nobody really rises above the others. They all are like such a joy. Yeah. Um, to watch and they've all got their own uh you know they've all got their own journeys in this movie but i i think it's kind of amazing that the three of us i feel like we could just pick up and go start a dinner theater production <laughs> you know so. maybe somewhere outside of melbourne you know like <laughs> there's low case counts yeah yeah we could we could come over here we could get into rural victoria and we could do it like we could do a reproduction of the musical just the three of us in starring roles that would be amazing well look we got that backing track with the muzak version that's out of the way. And Frankie adds, also love the high fantasy sequences. What fantasies have you thought of doing to your evil boss that you would normally never do? Karen, you go first. Wow, that's such a dark question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> actually, actually, on that, I was watching a, uh, I was watching a documentary about not necessarily the making of the film, but about the nine to five, the movement that inspired the film. You lucky dog, you got to see it. Yeah, luckily, a, a couple of weeks ago, as part of the Melbourne International Film Festival, and in in that, they were talking about when they were getting ready to to make the movie, and uh, the writers were interviewing women in the seventies and eighties that were working in the offices, and they they included that scene because they found it so interesting how many fantasies these women actually had like the real life workers they all had a story right and the three that made it into the film were real fantasies from real life women but they were some of the more light-hearted fantasies (laughs) (laughs) had brought to the table yeah they were really really dark apparently i heard in the commentary that one of them was putting the boss through the paper shredder yeah it was like dark death sort of stuff i mean i guess in the movie you know he does get pushed out the window and kind of (laughs) hunted down in the bush i don't know what my fantasy would be i guess um I, I kind of like the pushing out the window one. I guess it, I guess it would involve some kind of gory office, like eighties horror film death scene. Yeah, I think mine would involve sort of a, a variation on the poison coffee, but it would be laced with a shocking amount of LSD or something like that. Oh, the windows are open. Uh oh, whoops. <laughs> you can have a little fun before falling out. Although maybe that would turn Frank into like a lovely guy. You know, he'd realize the error of his ways. Realize that really we're all part of one thing. Jake, what do you think? Mine would involve, I don't know, some sort of like trapping of the boss in a uh, sauna of. Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> like cooking him in a sauna full <laughs> of a bunch of like, like Disney princes, you know, in towels. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Amorous, amorous Disney princes and towels. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be, that would be mine. 
I just put a side note. I just watched. <laughs> I just, uh, what are the prince's names? I just watched a, like, I don't know. Someone has done like some really good, like Disney prince porn. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like some great, like they, and it like, I don't know. They did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> it hits the spot. It's well done. Yeah. Big thumbs up for yeah. Jake Shears. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, and now uh, we were talking about the murder, the fantasies. Also, in the original script before Colin Higgins got his hand on it, the script was a little darker. Was it Colin that came up with the idea of the animation? I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, that was, yeah, I remember when Colin came in and, and uh, worked on the script, one of the biggest changes was uh, the way he handled dealing with the boss, which in an earlier version of this script, they actually did try to kill the boss. It was Colin yeah. who turned it into three fantasies about doing in the boss and Colin's fantasy for Violet was a sort of demented Snow White and that's where the animation came in. And that's the part the children love. Kids love Mr. Hart being all tied up in that Trust thing or whatever. Garage <laughs> opener. Yeah, yeah, swing it around the and, ceiling. And they, they do. They love, love the that, don't they? Thing. Oh, yeah. yeah, they just think it's their their movie. About the scene, which was one of the first things shot. Remember, these were the first days of shooting because it took so long to animate this. Oh, really? Remember, oh, yeah, Lily? Took, yes, I do. Took months <laughs> to do. I want to pause and just say, for the record, Jane Fonda clearly had no recollection of that. She went, uh, "Oh, really?" <laughs> that's that's <weird. laughs> Remember, these were this the first Jane. days of shooting because it took so long to animate this. Oh, really? Remember, oh, yeah. Lily? Yes, I do. Took months to do. And I saw that first day of dailies, and I thought I was just so awful. One of the other highlights of this commentary, I recommend it because at certain points they just are all talking at the same time. Oh, picture, that's because picture you this didn't without see the birds in yeah. it. I guess you would. And I, be- and I begged God, you seem so great at it. I begged Bruce to let. I said, you don't have to pay me. You can replace me. Do it now before it's too late. <laughs> That's, I was convinced she had lost her mind. But then she did have to act to nothing. And then Jane came into my trailer that day, and she, like, trying to draw me out. And she was so dear and wonderful, you know. And I was just on the verge of tears. Oh, And then we God. went to dailies, and I saw the second day of dailies, and I was, like, sort of good. And I yeah. said, so then I was so glad you didn't, <laughs> I still had the job. How wild is that? Like, Lily Tomlin's not a person I would imagine neurotically freaking out and thinking that she wasn't good enough to do this, right? Of any of the people in the movie. It's a surprising thing to hear, I think. She always comes across as so confident that, I mean, but if, if that was the first scene that you filmed in Night Divine, I'm, I'm kind of not surprised that she had that lack of confidence because what a, you know, what a, what a way to skew your mind on what project you're about to get started in. You're going around going, la, 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 and there's nothing there. Dressed as Snow White. Uh, rather fetching Snow White. And then back to Frankie. Rewatching this movie also makes me realize how well shot the movie is. Have to agree there. Every single frame has great storytelling, from Hart screaming on the phone earlier about his nefarious scheme when asking Violet for coffee, to them turning away with the broken taillight and subsequently being pulled over, to Dora Lee mentioning to him that she can copy his signature exactly, which means they can own his identity. I agree. There's a lot of that in the movie. There's, they set up every little gag of, uh, early on so that it pays off later in a very like low-key way. And back to Frankie. 
The fact that three separate women are more caring than Hart to his own wife, who's so sweet, it's very sapphic. Craig, I want to personally thank you for this podcast and Hot Dog Club. Every time I get frustrated and feel my fuse burning away, I listen to your soothing, dulcet, and phenomenal guests. Oh, I listen to your soothing, dulcet tone and phenomenal guests. You all always bring a smile to my face and brighten my day. I hope you all are doing well and staying safe. Love to you all. Frankie. Frankie, thank you so much. That's really lovely to hear, and I greatly appreciate that, and I can't tell you how much that means. It means quite a deal. So much so that I can't tell you how much. So thank you. And it's always lovely having uh, these two on the show. So thank you, you two. Yeah, thank you, Craig. And thank you, Frankie. Great questions. Great question and great movie suggestion. I love it. Yeah, fabulous suggestion. And that reminds me also of the set design. I was noticing uh, a lot of stuff about the lighting, in particular during the fantasy sequences in Hart's office. All of the recessed lighting is pink. It just helps to change the uh, into like a dreamscape kind of thing in a very subtle way. A little more subtle than when the backdrop is like the Ponderosa during Dolly's sequence. During Jane's sequence, I feel like the transformation of the office is really eerie. Like that always scared the crap out of me growing up. It still does. There's something that's the me that's like that's really dark. You know, it really is dark. It's very dark. And that well, just the image of his head on the wall, like oh, right. just like yeah, you know, when it when it back the, the camera yeah. kind of backs out, and it's 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 his head she's put up on the wall. I just find I was as a kid, I just always thought that was really terrifying. It's actually really creepy hearing you describe it as well. Like I remember, I re- I remember the scene very well, but hearing you describe it kind of creeps me out even more. <laughs> and also, I mean, everyone's like every the the office is kind of abandoned and like. People are sort of, you know, yeah, running around with torches and stuff in there. But like, then you get into the bathroom and it's just like Jane and him and she's stalking him. Right. You know? it's, yeah. It yeah. really is. Yeah. It really is scary. Do you think that maybe the fantasy transformation is the most severe with Jane's character? Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's just not as fun. It's 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 not as funny as as Dolly and Lily's. One of my favorite moments in it is when Dolly is turning the sexual harassment on Dabney. Oh my God. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's so, so intense. <laughs> it's really intense. And she, she actually seems really uncomfortable herself when she's trying to <laughs> perform the scene. <laughs> and of course, this is her first movie ever. And her, I mean, that's, that's the, what when you were saying earlier about Lily being self-conscious about her acting. I mean, really Dolly's the one who'd never done it, you know, right. and she really delivers a flawless performance in this movie. I mean, she's, you can just kind of get lost in Dorley. She's my favorite. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's also remarkable too, that Jane Fonda chose to make herself so small mm-hmm. because I think this is the first time she played someone like that. She was always, you know, Clute or one of the other movies. I can't remember. Yeah, right they're extremely powerful and, and, yeah. and Barbarella and, you know, like someone who's like got a lot of, you know, agency, agency. Yes. And like this character, it's, it is really interesting um, it's definitely sort of against the type of so many characters that she'd played before. I was going to say that earlier. Another one that just came to mind, The China Syndrome, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. movie, too, with her, Jack Lemmon, and Michael Douglas. They shoot horses, don't they? It's a great movie. Maybe during this time, don't watch that movie. Just don't want to put a thing out there for everyone. Karen, have you seen, have you seen They Shoot Horses? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, boy. It's, 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 it's incredible. It's Jane... Okay. It's a, it's yeah it's one of my all-time favorite movies it's it's highly 
you know, I highly recommend it. It's a competition film. Yeah, it's about um, a, uh, the dance competitions. Yeah, during the Depression, that they would have, they would make people dance for days. Yeah. And people would come in for, you know, days at a time, they wouldn't let them rest. And people would come in and place bets and stuff on who would fall first. So it was kind of this, like, this sort of modern gladiator thing where people would be literally dying. Yeah. Like, on d- dancing themselves to death. It's horrific. It's horrific. It's such a good movie. The film does not have a happy ending, not to spoil anything. <laughs> uh, if you want to do a real bummer double, double feature, do that and Star 80. I'm not sure which should open the bill and which should close it, but... Yikes. Yeah, Star 80 is another fabulous movie directed by Bob Fosse, but it's so dark that you kind of never want to see it again after you've seen it. Back to Jane. Jane's the reason the movie came to be. Also, same with China Syndrome. Always very politically minded and active, as we all know. She put together a production company. So the guy that we heard in that clip from the commentary is Bruce Gilbert, her producing partner. I saw Lily in her one-woman show, and I fell passionately in love and in smitten by her. And as I was driving home, I turned on the radio, and Dolly was singing Two Doors Down, and I thought, holy moly. <laughs> There we are. Dolly, Lily, and Jane. Well, you were evidently right. <laughs> it was a good Best combination. idea I ever had. We move on to Allison Kilbasa. Hello, Allison, who writes, Hi, Craig and Karen and Jake. Hope you're all doing well. Well, thank you, Allison. And the same to you. My question is, how many stiffs do you think that nurse found in the john before the one in this movie? I th- I'd say a high number. One every 10 days? <laughs> many. <laughs> many. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, many. Too many to count. <laughs> yeah. That lady does not seem uh seem thrown by it at all. It might be the best moment in the movie because it's <laughs> it because it really it builds the build up is so big. Yes, it is. Uh, and that is the what do they call it in, in musical theater? Like that's the it's just the, that's the final like punch. Uh, yes. That yeah. Entire sequence yeah. of them pulling him out of the hospital of them finding the body of them bringing it back in and put, you know, and then that's, that's, that's it. I, it might be the funniest moment of the whole movie. You know that Lily did most of her driving in that scene. She likes to do all of her stunt driving if she can. During this whole scene, I was scared to death of your driving. I thought you were going to kill your head kept bouncing because we were the top we of drove the, a lot. The, the roof yeah. of the you car. Know? And I thought, I oh my God, too. she's going to kill us. She's going to kill us. Because you were really into the action of it. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine the public liability insurance bill of having those three actresses in a car driven by Lily Tomlin? How incredible. What about Lily driving in um, I Heart Huckabees in the outtakes? <laughs> oh, Lily Tomlin is in the driver's seat, sitting next to Dustin Hoffman in the passenger seat, screaming at David O. Russell. It is one of my favorite things ever. Oh, my God. Particularly when the anger turns on Dustin. Oh, yes. We have to play that. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's so good. Have you ever heard this, Karen? No, I haven't heard it. Oh, my God. Lily's the outtakes from, from I Heart Huckabee is like there was so much tension on set and it was such a nightmare to make that there were these huge explosions <laughs> and massive fights between Lily and David O. Russell and they're actually like on tape. Wow. Oh, they're wild. Yeah, they're great to listen to at like four in the morning when you're like, oh, <laughs> It's like the real fun stuff to like put on. Would that be before or after the Judy tapes, the drunk Judy tapes? The drunk oh. Judy tapes are right around, you know. The, Same time. The drunk Judy tapes are really when the party is over. That is when like your friends start to look at you and they're like, 
this is really gone. Well, that's what, what we call select crowd. That's when, like, the riffraff yeah. take a hike and yeah. uh, the connoisseurs turn up the boombox. When I start playing the drunk Judy tapes, it's really like, it's not a good sign for my mental state. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time, though. But I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or rather, when we quote it to each other, that's always fun, too, because it's real easy to stop us. Leave me the fuck alone. Do you know what the fuck is going on, period? Fuck you. I've had it up to here. <laughs> Who's reacting to what, for God's sakes? Fuck you, motherfucker. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Get the fucking thing together, fuck you. Oh yeah, bullshit. That's why we spent five and five or six fucking hours doing something else. No! God damn it! You fucked it up, god damn you! Now get straight out and help. If you can't, if you can't help them, help me! That's right. Fuck you too. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm sorry. No, don't get up. I'll break the fucking set apart. I don't even give a fuck. That doesn't matter because you're there. Oh, shut up. Shut the. You shut the fuck up too. I will, but you're still there. Shoot the fucking thing right now. Yeah, that's. Oh, yeah. You'll get. You'll get all the. I'll be angry as she's angry. That'll be good. If if you are just a bad take, shoot it. Shoot it. Come on. You got the adrenaline. I don't care. Sounds like a lot of fun. She's such an eloquent swearer. Jake, let's get a little bit into your history with 9 to 5, because not only is this one of your favorite films of all time and has been since childhood, but you've actually spent time with all three of the ladies. I still, you know, started watching this movie when I was probably three. Uh, we had a bootleg of it on Betamax. Yeah. Um, we had a couple of tapes. We had 9 to 5 and we had Jane Fonda's Workout. Right, right. Um, so I grew up with this movie in a really big way. It's all I wanted to watch. I was born in 1978. So um, it was just this massive part of my childhood. Um, so it was always my dream to, to meet the trifecta. You know, they're sure. basically, like, you know, they're the, the Holy Trinity. Saints, the Trinity. Yeah. So fi- finally, Lily Tomlin was the last one that I, that I hadn't met. Because before that, You'd not only met Jane, which we'll get into, but you interviewed Dolly Parton for a British television special. Yeah, I got to do a um, like a half hour TV special called When Jake Met Dolly, where I got to interview her and spend the day with her. And uh, it was it was just like one of it was one of the scariest days of my life. Like I really was uh, sort of out of body, out of my head. Um, very, very stressed out. <laughs> and I had a lot of fun. I've never seen the special. Um, it's really good, and I know, but the funny thing is, for those of you who don't know, he won't watch anything that he's in, particularly if he's speaking in it. I really don't watch myself like on things or speaking or performing, or, uh, but, but especially that. I've never, I've never seen it. It was really sweet. Getting to do it was was so sweet. And I had some lovely moments with her and got to ask her some really fun questions and got to like, you know, meet all the people behind the scenes. And uh, it was a very special day for me. I will never, ever forget it. And then I found out years later, I am a distant, distant, distant cousin of Dolly Parton. <laughs> Isn't that wild? <laughs> I, we share some kind of like great to the, you know, 15th time grandfather. We, we share a grandfather from like, the 1800s named David Messer. My mother is, is my whole family is from that area, um, from those mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So anyways, so got to do that. And then I became friends with Jane Fonda. Vivian Bond took me to go see Carrie Fisher's opening night on Broadway doing Wishful Drinking. Yeah. I think it was, I think that was the show. I mean, I know it was the Carrie Fisher, but it was Carrie Fisher's opening night on Broadway. So we went and we were uh, hanging out at the after party. And I remember we were all kind of sitting at this banquette and Jane was to our left. Vivian and I were sitting there talking. Patty Lapone came down and sat with us and talked for a while. <laughs> and that was really fun to get to talk with her. And, and, uh, and then Patty was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to bed. Good night, everyone. And she like got up and left. And then suddenly I remember this, like, this lady sat down with a really grating voice and really like, uh, I don't know. She was she, this, you know, this, this woman sat down and suddenly, my, you know, my heart started racing like, oh my God, we're going to get trapped here. And I turned to Vivian and I said, if we don't stand up right now <laughs> and walk over there and introduce ourselves to Jane Fonda, we are going to regret it for the rest of our lives. Right. And we just looked at the woman. We were like, excuse us. And we walked <laughs> Over to, you know, and Jane was had like an entourage of there's a whole bunch of people sitting there and Vivian reached over and, and she said, Jane, I'm, I'm uh, Vivian Bond. It's uh, such a pleasure to meet you. And I was like, hi, I'm Jake. And then suddenly from her right, her son goes, oh, my God, moms, you know who that is. So her son and daughter-in-law were super fans of Scissor Sisters and would go like some of the early dates were at our shows. And oh, wow. so anyway, suddenly we were all like, you know, in a, in a conversation and whatnot. And we all became friends. And then Jane invited me to go down to Atlanta to do national workout day with her and Richard Simmons, who I got to, <laughs> to like do aerobics with them. And like, like a field of like, you know, you know, women in the, in the, in, uh, in Atlanta. Yeah. Which was a wild day. And then, yeah, Jane, uh, you know, throws these amazing parties in Los Angeles that have been some of the trippiest nights of my life. She throws these dance parties. She came to see Scissors at the Bataclan. And uh, we've done little projects together. And she's just an amazing, amazing woman and a heck of a lot of fun. So, so that leads me to the last one that, uh, to, to meet was Lily. I'd never met Lily Tomlin. And I was in a bar in New York and ran into Andy Cohen's producer from Watch What Happens. And I said, who's on the show this week? Is there anybody good coming on? And he's like, oh, we've got uh, Jane and Lily on Thursday. And I was like, holy fuck, I was supposed to fly out on Wednesday. So I get in the car and I texted Andy Cohen and I said, I don't know who's bartending on Thursday night, but they're fired. I'm staying. (laughs) (laughs) And it was such a special night because I got up there and I surprised Jane. I didn't tell Jane that I was going to be there. I surprised her and she had just been with Moises Kaufman. Oh, right. The the director of the show you were in, Bent. Bent. Yeah. Uh, So she is the one who informed me that I got cast in the first (laughs) play I'd ever been in. I was just with Moises. You got the part. She introduced me to Lily, who uh, was on her phone. <laughs> and it was 
couldn't have been more amazing. She was literally talking to someone else and meeting me at the same time. Yeah. And she's talking over her and she's talking and I'm talking and it was really sweet. It was, it was so exciting. That's lovely. That's my, that's my story. Of the... It reminds me of seeing you in Bent at the Tapper th- Taper Theater. Is that it? Taper Four. Taper Four. Yeah. Right. The, the roadshow thing at the dinner theater. <laughs> Who was sitting in front of me? Jane Fonda. When we all got up at the end, um, devastated, of course, because again, not a spoiler, not a happy ending. She had her dog with her. I didn't realize that she had that dog who is, you wouldn't know, it's like a stuffed animal. It's so placid and quiet. So we move along to Emily Janowski. Hello, Emily. And she writes, hello, Craig, Karen, and Jake. Well, hello again, Emily. I jumped the gun and uh, greeted you before you greeted me. And Emily says, I have just one simple question. Can 2020 be all about taking down the sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical, bigoted men? Thanks. And sending love to you all. Who wants to field that first? Let's say Karen from Finance. Let's say 2020 already is that year but i think the sad thing is that it feels like it's been that year for 40 years i think we've been trying to do that like as a society for so long and are probably going to keep trying to do it for a very a very long time to come but i like to think it's kind of working i'd like to think so we all have to like hold out hope but it's not it's not to say 2020 isn't about that it's it's about it is it already is and it's about so many more things you know uh, along those lines as well we (laughs) it's 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 an ongoing fight but we're all there when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the mid-show reminder that there's more movie clubs over at patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, and if you sign up now, you can actually participate in the ones going forward, including Fatal Beauty, which will be featuring James St. James and Rod Thomas of Bright Light, Bright Light, and many more to be announced very soon. And we move along to Melanie Ann, who writes, Hi, Karen, Craig, and Jake. This is my first time watching 9 to 5. Shame on me. No, not shame on you. I thought I had seen it as a kid, and actually the first time I saw it was in the last 10 years. So remember, Jason, we were talking about that? Like you, you were kind of shocked. Yeah, I can't imagine like living my life without it. I mean, it's just been such a, you know, a cornerstone in my life, and it's something that I mean, I don't know how many times I've I've watched it a a, a million times, and I love. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is just stay up. I love doing poppers and watching it. It's so fun, especially with people who've not seen it. To just like do poppers, watch nine to five, and just like laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. Like it's. Because the movie still makes me laugh like crazy. Yeah. Like it's it's so, jokes a minute. It is full of one-liners. Yeah. It's really, it's really, so it's funny. really funny. And the writing is so good. And that's what, you know, Craig and I are huge fans of these uh, American movie critics named Siskel and Ebert. And Craig just went back and watched their review of the film. And I have it for us to enjoy right now. Oh, my God. Yeah, I got to hear this. 
I mean, Ebert's like God to me. I mean, Ebert is like, I, I, I love Ebert, but it's amazing. Like some, sometimes like I disagree with him widely on certain things. Oh but. yeah. You know, it's amazing. Cause with Gene Siskel, more often than not, you're like, oh my God, he's no fun at all. Ebert, yeah. however, will you think the general overall view is that he's pretty right on. I noticed though, watching a bunch of stuff from like late seventies, early eighties, not a big fan of his uh, thought processes around that time. This is a comedy that's kind of dumb, but uh, kind of entertaining. Nine to Five stars Jane Fonda, Dolly Parton, and Lily Tomlin as three secretaries in a giant corporation. And they are, of course, the victims of rampaging corporate male chauvinist pigism. <laughs> Especially now, what, what's the snicker there? It's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Do you know what I mean? I think that's kind of... It just made me snicker, though. <laughs> what's that? What? It just made me laugh, him saying that, just because he's just like, of course, it's... Yeah, right, so... <laughs> I mean, it's just so predictable. <laughs> it is. Especially on the part of their rock-headed boss, played by Dabney Coleman. Unfortunately, 9 to 5 is not a great comedy or even a very good movie, apart mm -hmm. from uh, Dolly Parton. It has some scenes that completely fall flat, including the elaborate fantasy scenes where the three secretaries dream about how they'd like to bump off their boss. Those bad scenes are balanced out by the warm and funny rapport between the three women. Fonda's sort of sweet is the quiet little divorcee on her first job. Tomlin is hilariously guilt-ridden after she thinks she put rat poison in the boss's coffee, and Dolly Parton is so filled with life and fun and energy, she's probably the best reason to see 9 to 5. Actually, I think she's the only reason, and we should say that I think that she is a big movie star, mm -hmm. and really it's exciting to see a new movie star. Mm -hmm. The movie, though, itself, as you point out, falls flat on the bottom. After the first half hour, and those scenes were both from the first half hour, after being exciting and showing the way men really use their secretaries as sort of extensions of the typewriter, yeah. after doing that, mm -hmm. I Love Lucy. Bad <laughs> I Love Lucy, with pushing bodies around in a hospital and uh, car crashes. Uh, Roger, I had such high hopes for this film, and they mm -hmm. weren't met. That's why I'm so disappointed in it. Well, I guess we agree and we disagree. I agree with you, it's not a very good movie, and mm -hmm. I was disappointed in it but I feel it's worth seeing all the same. I think I feel about this movie the way you did about the Clint Eastwood movie, that it may not be a great film, but on its own level it's entertaining, it's worth going to see, and then especially for Dolly Parton. Well, all I'm saying with the Clint Eastwood, just to differ with you, is that Eastwood is consistent at a certain quality, and this film starts out fabulous and then really gets lousy. Okay, the Clint Eastwood film he's referring to is Any Which Way But Loose, the film starring Clint Eastwood and an orangutan. And... Gene actually says something about it featuring a level of sophisticated comedy. Where to begin? What was the thing that galled you the most, Karen? Well, I just need to make something clear first. Did you say before you played that review that it was an American film critic that you both enjoy and listen to? Did I hear that correctly? See, we tried to do a disclaimer that was truthful yet uh, appropriately distancing, and I don't know if we did. I, I think that it's probably the exact reaction you would expect to get from, you know, a white male critic back in 1980 reviewing a film like this, isn't it? It's not really, I mean, it's not for him. Uh, <laughs> there's, some, there's something to be enjoyed, but if, if that's the stance he's going to take, he's part of the problem. I just think they're so off the mark with this. <laughs> yeah, right. They're just like wildly off the mark. Like they, if someone went to them and told them like, actually you're reviewing a movie that people are still going to be talking about in 40 years time and is a classic, I doubt they would be giving such a flip um, review of this movie. I mean, they're just off. They're just way off base. Way off base. Cause also the whole fantasy sequence stuff is really imaginative. You don't know what's coming next. If you've never seen it before you really have no idea that they're going to kidnap them. 
You know what I mean? Like that is like the furthest thing from your mind. There's unexpected twists and turns all over the place. Uh, every performance is great. The side characters are great. Add a girl. She's fantastic. Yes. All that stuff Margaret, is great. My favorite. <laughs> Hart's wife is fantastic in it too. It makes me wonder what, uh, because I've, you know, I'm in my thirties. I've only ever seen the movie as it being a classic, I would love to, you know, have been of this age and to have seen it when it was out in the cinema, because of course there were rave reviews from, you know, female office workers of the time who were seeing themselves on screen for the first time. Right. Uh, but I, we, we don't know the reaction that anyone else had to the movie, I guess. So I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how it was perceived by those groups at the time. Speaking of the secretaries that Karen mentioned. Did any of you ever see this movie in a in a house full in a theater full of secretaries? No. That was that was the biggest biggest oh, biggest that, thrill. That had to be pretty high. Oh my god. They, must they have identified screamed. with every single thing. They I mean they knew we did it for them and they just screamed and hollered. Well you and Bruce probably had the advantage there since you <laughs> produced it and worked on it. You probably got to see all the screenings where you actually did play it for secretaries and people for that actually worked yeah. 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 Karen, 9 to 5 plays a big role in your Out of Office show. I mean, the, the, song, the song itself is such a staple in my repertoire as an entertainer, but it's, and it's because of the movie. I didn't grow up with Dolly Parton in my life. I didn't grow up as a, you know, as a fan of her. She wasn't really around for me. But yeah. uh, it, it, I think it was in my early 20s I watched The Best Little Whorehouse of Texas again. And it wasn't until the second time round in my early 20s that I watched it and it got to that scene where, you know, she does I Will Always Love You right. 10 years after she originally released it. Yeah. And it was, it was a huge wake up to me. I had no idea that she even wrote the song. That was, that was how I learned that. Through that, I discovered Dolly Parton all over again and, and got on to 9 to 5. And it was about that time that I, I created Karen from Finance. So that, that, that really is... Um, the, the, the base of where my character came from. And when I look at the movie, though, I always based Karen off that character, Margaret, who's the secretary behind Roz, who, yeah. the add-a-girl girl, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> the kind of the boozy, single, like nothing much going on character in the office. Right. Oh, and back to Melanie Ann's question, because we only got, we only got one line into it before we veered off into some other topics. Uh, Melanie Ann, I'm just going to repeat what she said. She said, this is my first time watching 9 to 5. Shame on me, as we said, no. And then she absolutely loved it, which is great. It had so many twists and turns. The fashion was excellent. And I just love when the storytelling holds up 40 years later with a film. Let's talk about the fashions for a second. They were fantastic. The work of Anne Roth, who apparently was so detailed that she would put things in the purse of each character that was specific to those characters, even though you'd never see them. I love that. Well, the fashion, hey, you, you've already mentioned the kimono is a, is, a, is a hot favorite of yours. It's a hot favorite. And also because it's almost like that's like fun time, Violet. Right. And then like when it's business time, she puts on the other jacket. So there's a whole routine. It's almost like it's her cape. <laughs> it is her cape. I always love Judy's outfit when she walks in. And uh, <laughs> I think Violet says that we're going to need a locker for that hat. Right. And one of the other moments in, in fashion that I really like in the film is when Judy first meets Dora Lee and uh, she's just staring at Dolly's chest. And uh, as <laughs> as Jane walks away, she kind of holds her chest and thinks, oh, my goodness. But when you look back at the film, Dora Lee's, she's her, her top is barely... Um, uh, it, it's barely she's wearing a barely revealing top you can see next to nothing but she's still so offended by her breasts there's also the, like a green spangly thing that she has i think when she's coming back from filling up hart's car with gas exactly it's like a green sequin blouse it's beautiful Anne roth worked with lily and 
Dolly on other projects, including this one, which was not for a film, but for a costume party. And also, I was going to go to the Dada Ball once in honor of uh, Beatrice Wood, who was an artist from that uh, era. And I, I was going to go with Salvador Dali, dressed as Dolly Parton. <laughs> and she made me a costume. <laughs> I should, I should, oh, yeah. I never sent you a picture of that. No, and she, you so I had, I had a big, I had black hair, you know, like Salvador Dali, and a mustache, and I had a blonde wig over it. <laughs> And then she made me a, che- a drawer, a ch- like a chest of drawers with breasts falling out of it. Yeah. It was just, it was really Well, I brilliant. gotta have that picture. Back to what Melanie Ann wrote. She said, uh, the storytelling holds up, but having said that, it's actually a bit brutal that so few things would need changing to make a modern version of this story. What things would each of you change to make a more contemporary version? And we will start with Jake Shears. What things would I change to make a more contemporary version? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't entirely agree with that statement. I think so much has changed. I think everything has kind of changed. And I think that the professional space is looked at in a way different with filter than it was in this time. And especially just over the last, I mean, I'm talking over the last five years, the changes that, 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 but I do think, um, yes, of course there's, 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 there's still a movie to make there, but it, it is quite wild. Like to, to think about how m- much things have changed. I mean, yeah. think about Mr. Hart and like his behavior and like what that would, I mean, he, you know, you would hope would like, you know, what would happen? Get like, bounced out get of there pretty quickly. Although out and, yeah. you know, you'd hope, but I, I, I definitely think like a lot of this stuff is, uh, much more in the in the in the in the public sphere and the dialogue. Um, yeah. Just uh, you know, just in the past few years, really. Sure. Um, so I don't know. I I, I I was I could think of something like witty to say back to that, but I. I <laughs> but why why bother? No, I, frankly, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Karen, I think what do you, you think? raise a really good? I think you raise a really good point, though. I think it would be doing a disservice to to the film and the movement to say that nothing has changed since the film came out. So you're right there. I guess I guess it's more that uh, it not an, as much has changed as maybe they wanted by creating the film in the first place. Their their end goal is is still a goal that we're working towards. Although, yeah, a lot has changed, and it's to the credit of you know such incredible women over the time especially the nine to five movement from boston that kind of started this that's right i guess if i was going to change anything it would go back to one of the first questions we were asked in this podcast is about the diversity in the film if they were going to do a remake i i I would love to see a yeah maybe a a more broad diverse cast of women sure who aren't just like secondary characters etc yeah i would say uh well to make it more contemporary the technology. See, I had an easy one. Uh, <laughs> you have to take the technology, but then of course that whole printer scene. You'd have to. Well, I guess the printers are still just as much, uh, just as difficult, right? The Xerox room. But the, I guess you'd be getting emails. But then you could get like a whole Judy in the spreadsheet, you know, bit. And Hart could still come in and yell at her in a horribly demeaning way. And then Melanie Ann also mentions the diversity and kind of what we just said. So I'm going to move on to her next comment, which is, Jake, I know Dolly wrote the song from Clicking Your Nails Together on set to make the beat of the typewriter. I was wondering if you've ever written anything in a strange place and or by tapping at a beat somewhere other than when you, where you usually write. A lot of writing happens uh, just walking down the street or in the shower. Yeah, I mean, it can kind of come from anywhere, but the 
or just hearing something, hearing something spoken. I'll do just voice memos. Like as soon as I think of something yeah. or, you know, when I have the idea, I just like do a voice memo, but I can't think of an instance where it was like a rhythmic thing. I mean, you know, earlier I was taking Toby out uh, for a walk and, and every morning we have different songs, you know, it, when we get up, it's, it's, you know, there's a song about Toby uh, is going to eat some breakfast and <laughs> it tastes really good. And what's in the, what, you know, what you're going to eat, it's fish and carrots and yeah. um, sweet potatoes. And then at around 5 PM, there's a different song every day. that's like, someone's going to go poo poo. Toby, his name Toby. Every day. There's, and I really should record those because they're, they're, they're different ones, you know, Every day, you know, eventually you could have a dog slash children's album. Yeah. <laughs> you and Jessica Harper. Yes. Oh, my God. That's right. She loved you, by the way. So a collaboration could be imminent. She's she's not responding to the emails about rescheduling the shock treatment <laughs> movie club. I'm just putting it down to during this time. But, yeah. I, you know, I'm persistent. So it's going to happen. And I'm going to get Clifty Young, too. Melanie Ann also asks, Karen, is there any chance that when you're allowed to emerge from stage four lockdown, which I hope is soon, that you'll bring out of office back on tour? I missed out when you were in QLD last year, though I did get to see you at Comedy Queens a few weeks before and have a lovely picture of the two of us in matching leopard print. What about that, Karen? Yeah, well, as soon as as soon as we're allowed to travel again, I hope that I can bring out of office everywhere. I want to bring it to the UK and to the US and, of course, around Australia again. Although I should announce that it is... Um, by the time this comes out, it should be available uh, to stream online for pretty much the whole month of November as part of the Melbourne Fringe Festival. I've got a, a digital recording of Out of Office that's going to be streamable for an entire month. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm really excited about yeah. that. Because I've not been able to see the whole show. I saw a wonderful performance that you did at the Clapham Grand, but it was like an abbreviated highlight reel. That's right. That was a six-minute version of the full 60-minute extravaganza. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie Ann closes out her comments with, Thanks for the movie club. I hope you're all doing well in these strange and stressful times. Love, Mel. Yeah, thank you, uh, Mel. I think we're doing okay. You both doing okay? I'm doing just fine. Fabulous, (laughs) fabulous. We move along to Jasmine Barnes who writes, Hey, Craig, Karen, and Jake. Hey, Jasmine. I hope everyone is doing well. I was finally able to watch this film this morning, and what a way to start the day. First off, thank you, Craig, for sharing this so we can share in the greatness that is this beautiful cast. Love the wardrobe throughout. It's stunning. My question is, if each of you had a daydream sequence of what you would do to Handel's heart bullshit, heart's bullshit, what would it be? Now, we kind of answered the thing about the murdering, but that would be a different boss. Now, if we were in the film, or again, the traveling roadshow dinner theater company version of this, which we're launching soon. Uh, check a GoFundMe coming up soon for that, because uh, it'll be a virtual tour because we're socially distant. We'll do it at drive-ins. What would your fantasy be? How would you handle that, Jake? Uh, what, in, in what way? What, so what if, you were, if we were doing the fantasy sequences... <laughs> <laughs> so we were doing fantasy sequence. Listen, and by the way, just so everyone knows, he's taping at a much later time than us. Karen, it's very early noon for me. It's like late in the evening, but that what does that mean with my sleep schedule? Jason's been on a very regimented schedule, and it's very late for him yeah, right now. It's getting bed- bedtime soon, but yeah, uh, yeah. Let me think. Um, what would I do? A fantasy of like in terms of like instead. What's instead of like the Snow White thing or the the lassoing thing? Like, well, I guess you kind of said the prince, the Disney princes. I guess the the Disney prince sauna uh, is one thing. 
Um, I mean, I think like a really fun sequence of sexually harassing him would be like a blast, you know? You have mentioned in the past that you find uh, Dabney Coleman rather tasty. I think Dabney Coleman's pretty hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, sure. I've got a big thing for, I like Dabney Coleman and Charles Grodin, like are oh, two okay, yeah. men of that era that I find very attractive. You might like, uh, for many reasons, actually, Modern Problems, a film that I've often threatened to torture you with. He has a full ass shot in that that uh, you might enjoy. Who, Charles or Dabney? Dabney. Wow. Yeah. Dabney, Dabney. <laughs> now, Karen, do you have an alternate version of the uh, fantasy death sequence that you would like to uh, describe? No, if I would, I, I think, I don't think I would do a death sequence per se, but maybe. Yeah, some, some harassment. Forgive me. I'll redact that. That's okay. Yeah, I don't want to kill anyone, but maybe, uh, you know, not that I've got any, any, any issue with a pair of high heels, but maybe they could dress him up in one of their you know, fashionable corporate secretarial outfits and send him around the office in a pair of you know, six-inch stilettos getting coffee for everyone for the day. Yeah. Make sure it does no sugar, but light and sweet, right? Or what is it? What is it called? Skinny and Skinny sweet. Skinny and sweet. Thank you very much. Uh, which is the name of the new Jake Shears children's dog album. Featuring it's someone's gonna poo poo, <laughs> <laughs> and thank and so thank you Jasmine for that, and we move on to Amanda Lenore. Amanda writes, "Hello everyone, hello Amanda. Nine to Five is one of my absolute favorites, but I first watched it when I was very young. Since I was so young, it's actually my first exposure to Dolly, or it was my ex- my first exposure to Dolly. Then my preteen mind was shook when I realized that Dora Lee was actually a super famous and amazing person. I feel like each generation has a superstar that then becomes known by their presence in a film." by the next generation. For instance, some kids only know Adina Menzel, a.k.a. Adele Dazeem, as Aliza or Dwayne Johnson as Maui from Mo- Mo- Moana. Pardon me, Moana. Another one that had my preteen me shook was learning King Jareth and Labyrinth was David Bowie. Another movie club, perhaps? Amanda, let me just tell you, absolutely. And Jake, I know you're a big fan of Labyrinth. When might I do that? Which I was thinking of our Christmas movie club would be nice because also we have that David Bowie Christmas thing going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, my question is, what celebrity did you realize was actually super famous later in life after you first got to know them in another medium? Oh, I have a good one for that. I watched Rock and Roll High School when I was so young, and I flipped out over it. I thought that the Ramones were a made-up band for the movie, like the Monkees, because I loved the Monkees as a kid, and then my brother delighted in being like, you know that they're not a real band, right? And I was kind of didn't care, uh, which still holds true. Uh, I love a manufactured band. So that would be for me. And then when I discovered the Ramones was a real band, I was just head over heels uh, over them. Sadly, don't read any books about them if you have a problem with people being bad people in real life than listening to their stuff, because you won't like them anymore. Uh, Two of them anyway. Jake, how about you? It was uh, Bowie and Labyrinth for me. I mean, I was a huge Muppets fan, and that came out when I was seven. Yeah. And I had no idea who he was, and I love the music from the movie so much. And that's how I discovered Bowie, and it's like one of my most like, like creatively influential uh you know Moments. i don't know i don't know what i'm even trying to say but just like yeah like that that was a it affected me deeply but it was because of labyrinth is how i how i discovered him at such a young age yeah and how i started listening to him at such a young age i mean i got really deep into it let's dance and lodger were your first tapes right let's dance lodger and scary monsters what a lovely trio now uh karen how about you no, I'm going to pass. Nothing's coming to mind. 
Okay. I, I, you don't want to answer lest you incriminate yourself, and I, I can appreciate that. So uh, we move along to oh, – first off, thank you, Amanda. We move along to Gabby Hendricks. Hey, y'all. I can't believe I've never seen this movie before, but it's a true treat. My question is, what changes would y'all make around the workplace while your boss was, quote, out of the office? Also, I'm going to start saying – Atta girl, anytime I grab a white claw from the fridge on a weekday. Sending good vibes your way from NYC. Well, sending good vibes to you, Gabby. And listen, you get that white claw and uh, atta girl. What changes would we make? I would kind of do similar things to what the ladies do in the film. Make the office uh, a hospitable place for people to be at because they're there all the time. And also, happy workers equal a better office, as we see in the film. That is very true. I would I would let dogs into the workplace. Ah, Nice. I think it will work a lot better. You know, in the movie, what do they do? They let plants on the desk. They allow personal photos. But I think if you can bring your dogs in, that's going to uh, improve efficiency yeah, twofold. Certainly. And, of course, the daycare that they bring in, too, is really great. And, like, the flex hours, which I think were really uh, new concepts at that time. Right. Jake, what about you? I would make sure I would, like, put Elvira in, like, the front uh, <laughs> reception area reception? as a receptionist. <laughs> And like a big Halloween theme, like all year round, except for Christmas. Right. There could be like a, you know, but, but, but yeah, make the whole office Halloween themed and Elvira's a receptionist. That's you, what I you have the best answer of the whole show so far with that. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's now you're legally obligated to be part of Labyrinth Movie Club. Uh, Frankie Moore comes back with another entry. And Frankie writes, hey, I almost forgot to ask about Rhinestone. So uh, we're going to talk about Rhinestone, I think, in another movie club. I put that up for everyone because we all need to watch things like Rhinestone in this uh, godforsaken time, which we won't mention other than that. Uh, So it is fabulous, but we're going to be talking about Rhinestone in another time. Uh, Lydia Languish writes love 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 this film I love Lily Tomlin's costume progression throughout the film from drab to burgundy to bright red at the end not very subtle but extremely effective I laughed a lot at the Maui Wowie work revenge fantasies especially Dolly's I once had a dream that the four horsemen of the apocalypse rescued me from my call center jobs and we rode away on motorcycles while all the supervisors shot at us with AK-47s I'm interested to hear about everyone's revenge fantasies work related or otherwise now we covered work related uh, revenge fantasies what other revenge fantasies could we could we think of? Does anyone have one, or, or are they too close to the bone, too close to home, too close to a? Yeah, I don't have any revenge. <laughs> yeah, you're not a vengeful person. No, no. I'm not a vengeful. I, I'm actually not a vengeful. You, I don't think I'm a vengeful. person. No, you're not. I'm not saying that facetiously. Yeah, you're yeah, not. Yeah, no. You're not. I mean, I say it with a laugh because it's it's a funny yeah. thing, but. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. Okay, now we're going to play another clip that's not from the movie. I hope you you okay on time because it's going to just be a couple minutes. I've got a few. I've got a few. I've got a few minutes. Okay, great. So Ringo Starr got a lot of fan mail, of course, but he used to actually send stuff back to people. And one day, he decided he wasn't going to anymore. This is a serious message to everybody watching my update right now. Peace and love. Peace and love. I want to tell you, please, after the 20th of October, do not send fan mail to any address that you have. Nothing will be signed after the 20th of October. If that has a date on the envelope, it's going to be tossed. I'm warning you with peace and love, but I have too much to do. So no more fan mail. Thank you, thank you. And no objects to be signed. Nothing. Uh, anyway, peace and love, peace and love. <laughs> the angriest, 
possible message, <laughs> right? Where was that message posted? What platform did he get that out to the to, to the masses? I think that was on his website, and it was the early two thousands. So it wasn't like Instagram or right. something. Rewatching it again, you really got to watch it sometime because it starts at a close up on his face, and then it zooms out, and he's just furious, just boiling with anger. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, so yeah, in terms of revenge fantasies, I, I, we've all had them, but like I don't know. Like they're probably too deep and dark to pull back because when you have them, they're really intense, and then you sort of file them away with whatever that whole disaster was, right? So you know they're there, but if they come up to me, if they come to mind at another during another show, I'm sure I'll share them. Uh, but I can't think of any in particular. Karen, did you have anyone in particular? No, not that I'd like to share. See, that's the thing. And listen, <laughs> we'd like to be candid as possible, as, as candid as possible with all of you. But some of them just, yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, someone dropping dead. Sure. That's in there somewhere. Uh, you figure out who, uh, Dom Egan wrote, which of the girls do you think gives the campiest performance for me? Lily Tomlin's eye roll slash nausea spell before she goes gurney hunting is high as high camp as its finest. And I did not say that correctly, but I think you know what I meant in terms of high camp. I guess Lily certainly has her moments. My favorite moment of her, uh, being high something in that is when she's like, I'm a doctor. Why am I even talking to you? It's one of the best lines of the whole film. Just piss off. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's amazing, too. That's amazing, too. Also, I love how uh, she gets the pot from her son. I love the scenes in this movie. I mean, you get, you get you know, Dolly and her husband at home in that one scene. Yes. You get scene where, you know, where uh, Lily is, um, you know. The garage she, door opener? Yeah, they're, they're, they're fixing the garage. Then, I mean, you get when Judy is... Uh, when she comes home from work for after her first day and sees her ex at the door. Exactly. Those are your, like, yeah. I love that, you know, it's just so amazing how, like, in a well-crafted film, like, there really isn't uh, that much real estate. You know what I mean? It's like with the novel, yeah, you can kind of go on forever. But a movie, you've got two hours. Like, it's amazing how just these little beats... Yeah. Like, really represent so much more and you really feel like just in these little moments that you get to know the characters you really get to feel like you know who they are right and i just think that this movie does that so masterfully because there's just not a lot of real estate just like what y'all were talking about earlier saying you know all those little setups all those tiny like tiny little details yeah actually really come into play the craftsmanship i think in this movie is is just excellent all those things too they have to be threaded through so delicately so they're not glaringly obvious it's just part of the thing you know she's making the coffee and staring at the skinny and sweet and the coffee is a thing that irritates her the chair is fucked up and then that comes into play later all of this stuff and then of course the garage door opener is what leads us to that hoist thing and Mm. but it's not like when it's happening you're just like oh this is right she's a she's a single parent She's a widow. She's got to do all this stuff herself. I've never put two and two together. I've never thought of that. Isn't that amazing? I've never linked the garage door scene to the actual hoist. Yeah. <laughs> I never, I never occurred. Like I never put the two of those things together. It's such a good part. And it's such a random, um, it's a, such a, like a random skill that they decide to give her to recreate <laughs> right. later in the film. And so believable though. You're like, all oh, right, she's got to like take care of the house yeah. and like no one, and yeah. she's stressed and you know, and you can see that it's so real. Her complaining about the boss 
while doing it and everything. Yes. Yeah. And then and then being excited because she accomplished it. Yeah, it's so sweet. It's, it's sweet, sweet too because the door is closing, so you don't actually see them, but you can see you can feel the you hole. You see her jump and she turns and hugs him, right? Yeah, it's right. really it's sweet. Yeah. One of my favorite things too is when Jane Fonda's uh, horrible uh, ex comes to Hart's house and you don't know what's going on again like you think like someone's spying on the house so you think the jig is up you know you know who's watching the house and then he almost like breaks in she's almost swayed by it a little bit his uh, attempt to get her back because he can't quite cut it in the world he thought he was going to go into and then he sees he hears the noise going on upstairs and he thinks that she's into like weird sex games yeah, <laughs> and I love her response. Yes, that's right. Weird sex games. Are we allowed to reference the 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 live show, the 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 Broadway musical? Oh, more than allowed to. Yeah, I'm happy you brought it up. I I don't want to give anything away that people haven't seen the musical, but the the end of the first act where his heart is hoisted for the first time, yeah, and he's in a full BDSM like kind of pleather suit. He's he's got he's got every accoutrement imaginable, and he's yeah. hoisted up in the theater and he's kind of hanging above the audience. <laughs> it's so funny watching a really like middle aged straight crowd laugh at that as they go into intermission when you are you know you're looking at someone in a full BDSM suit hanging from the ceiling it's really funny and of course you know all the stars of the film are queer icons and but the film was written and directed by a gay man the same director of course is Best Little Whorehouse in Texas which might explain that shower sequence a little bit more to everyone I found this great interview this woman named Bobby Wygant whose all of her interviews are up on YouTube and they're not trimmed down so she did the thing like in broadcast news where william hurt is faking his reactions this very concerned reactions so they do the interview with the star and then the tape's still running and she's like okay now we'll do my reaction shots they're ghoulish and they're great but she asked this question of lily tomlin have you ever wanted to be blonde and sexy like dolly parton i could be if i wanted to be <laughs> <You really? laughs> well, I mean, I could be blonde, that's for sure. Uh-huh. Oh my God. Yeah. What a fucking like, <laughs> monster. What a monster. Wait, what an insane thing to ask, but a perfect response I could be if I wanted to be. Yeah. And then she, and then she gets, well, he's blonde. That's big of her to handle it like that. The film was then adapted into a sitcom. Now, that usually does not go very well for any film. The first season's not horrible. It stars Rachel Dennison, who is Dolly Parton's sister, uh, Rita Moreno, Jeffrey Tambor as the boss, who's turned from the horrible sexist pig and is sort of like a doofus. Then it kind of got canceled, brought back, then put in first-run syndication, and eventually we end up with Sally Struthers in the show. Whoa. Yeah, really bad. Really bad. So I pulled a couple of the really great moments from later in the show. So, you know, we talk about how wonderful the dialogue is in 9 to 5. Now, this is where... It landed in the TV show. Ooh, you're in a good mood. I'm wiping junk food out of my life. From now on, Warren, Heather, and I will be eating only good, healthy food. Good for you, Marcia. You're changing your diet. You bet I am. This morning I had chocolate milk, cocoa puffs, and gum. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're changing it to the Shelley Winters diet. <laughs> After this morning, I'm disgusted with myself. This time it's for real. Great stuff, right? <laughs> right? And the laugh track is so... <laughs> it's like... Sally Struthers? Yeah. Sally Struthers... Carp- Struthers. <laughs> <laughs> Sally Struthers carping about, like, like, trying to lose weight and stuff. Like, so not feminist 
in any way. Everything's about like, I just can't stop eating. And garbage. <laughs> such garbage. garbage. And of course, like all good writing, the trope comes back later in the episode. Mm, you know, this lettuce really hits the spot. <laughs> I never realized how tasty roughage could be. Did you bring any cookies today? <laughs> I'm sorry, Marsha. I thought you asked me not to. Great, good. That's exactly what I wanted to hear you say. Mmm. Sprouts. <laughs> Don't they look good? Mm. You want them, Judy? <laughs> Too nervous to eat. Judy, that's not eating. That is grazing. Sure. Type this memo while I'm out. To all employees, no more wearing stretch pants to the office. And make sure you personally deliver a copy to the Benedetto brothers down at the loading dock. Thankfully for everyone's... Uh... Enlightenment. All of those are on YouTube, so you can dive into that. Are all the episodes on YouTube? I think so. At least season four. The wow. yeah, yeah. Season they did four? four seasons. Oh yeah, they did. So Jane Fonda was the executive producer of the first two seasons of the first one and a half. Then, uh, out of uh, creative differences, she left the program, and the other executive producer, James Comack, took over. James Comack is responsible for Welcome Back, Cotter. So that might be solves that riddle as to how we ended up. With Sally Struthers also playing a character called Marsha. Who's that? Another hallmark of great writing is when the characters, when they're sitting three of them in the room, say each other's name at the beginning of every sentence. Did you ever work in an office, Jane? Just curious. I did, and I was fired. Oh, did you? you well, I, I can see why after seeing that scene. <laughs> I, I wouldn't sleep with the boss. <gasps> oh, really? Is that true? Yes, it's absolutely true. I'm not, I, you'd know who he was, too. I'm not going to name names. Oh, really? But, uh, yeah, well, I was I fired. slept with the boss, and I still got fired. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Don't say a lot for me, I guess. Not really. I never worked in an office, either. Of course, this was Dolly's first film, and this is how she prepared for it. Can Can we tell... Lily, about how Dolly memorized everything. Now, I mean, do you want to tell that story? Are you about Well, sure. Well, Dolly showed up the first day, and she thought that she was supposed to, of the first day of rehearsal, that she was supposed to memorize the entire script. That is to say, everybody's lines, including her own, and she really had done it. Well, you know, I thought a movie was like a play. I'd never seen a movie made. I'd never been in one. This was my first, and I thought it was like a play. I didn't know that they shot out a sequence and. You know, it's like when uh, when we got on the set, and even though a lot of the dialogue changed from time to time, knowing the whole script really helped me a lot. Cause when Lily and you would miss your lines, I could feed them to you. The <laughs> 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 little sigh at the end. She's so adorable. She is. Oh, and one last thing. I know Jake's thrilled. He's uh, <laughs> you, you want to go to bed? So I gotta say, I. My air conditioner is so loud. Oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, turn you turn it on, turn it on, because there's only a few minutes left, and it's uh, it's fine. I can, I can, I can, uh, I'll be fine. Okay. I didn't know you were suffering. Uh, That's why I'm looking. You're suffering for your art, and I appreciate that. Just like the Bataclan show that Jane Fonda was at, where the air conditioning was broken, and it was the the one of the hottest days ever in France. Correct. It was one of the hottest days ever in France, and it. This is actually a really funny story. So the. So I played it. Uh, the show was um, so fun, though. It was really intense. 
I think they took the temperature on stage at one point. And it was like 115 degrees Fahrenheit oh like on God. stage. The you know by the side of stage we had uh, you know my my techs had we had these huge buckets like coolers full of ice water that they were dipping towels in yeah and like draping them over my head between songs because I was just like on fire <laughs> like just steaming I had taken all my clothes off I was in my underwear that was a very famous photograph from the show of me singing with my balls out <laughs> of, out, of my, out of my underwear yeah in the whole show. I was playing and I was just like, God damn it. I was like, Jane Fonda is here. I was worried the whole show just being like, that sucks. I'm sure she had to leave. Like, cause it was just in, I mean, it was unbearably hot. Yeah. Finish the show and I, I walk out and Jane is there with a huge smile on her face. She'd had the time of her life. Yeah. Completely soaking, soaking, soaking wet. She's not wearing a bra and her boobs are completely just out and proud <laughs> on like high beams. Yeah. Wow. And she was just fully doing a wet t-shirt. And like, I just thought that was the coolest. It was the best thing to see after that show. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, you're here and you're topless basically. Right. And you're happy. And like, it was just so cool. She's just, you know, she's, just a real deal, that Jane. She's pretty cool lady. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention the TV theme because the TV theme ain't quite like the original song. Phoebe Snow is a fabulous singer. This is not a great match. Tumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen. Pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the street the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job Nine to five Working nine to five What a way to make a living Barely getting by It's all taken and no giving They just use your mind And they never give you credit It's enough to drive you It's almost over, don't worry. So weird, and it sounds like it pauses and buffers at the end there, but it's actually just their, their final <laughs> note. Right. How are we going to end this? Just uh, stop, and then they'll do something. And yeah, later on in the series run, uh, Dolly did a new version of the song. Subtle sound effects.
subtle and random injections of what was it like a calculator printer? Yeah. Yeah. Little Casio number. That song is the gift that keeps on giving. I just want to say like, it really like it basically like it, I still rob from that song blindly constantly. Yeah, sure. I, mean, I've, I've, I just keep rewriting that song <laughs> in so many different ways. And what I love about that song, especially is it's not, it's got a, you know, it's got a new Orleans vibe to it. Yeah. Like it's all those new Orleans horns and stuff at the end. It's like got a real, it's such a weird amalgamation of genre. I mean, it's got a little bit of country cause you got her, but it's, it's but it got that sort of disco four on the floor. Like, yeah. It just sounds like a Muppet party, like headed on down to the sunset. You know what I mean? Just kind of on the horizon, like that Muppet party that you said there. I, I that's what I think is always so funny about the song is that it is a party song, and like you can play it at the, at the club or whatever, and it, everyone always enjoys and gets up and dances and sings. But it's a really sad song. Like the the content of the lyrics is really depressing. <laughs> no, it really is. It really is. I know. And like when I would think about my mom working as a uh, thing, I, I remember I would get like I think it's the second verse. I like you're all in the same boat. You're in the same boat as a lot of your friends. I, I always yeah. sort of missed up at that a little bit. You know what I mean? Just because like, you think about the kind of depressing nature. of of it all <laughs> the same boat as a lot of your friends waiting for that one day for the ship to come in, to come in. yeah gonna turn and it's all gonna roll your way <laughs> i mean awful that's really sad and delivered so cheerfully uh scissor sisters before they came on stage for many years i think maybe all of the tours you played baby i'm burning as the intro baby music I'm burning was always our our entrance song at least for a couple a couple of a couple of years yeah yeah on to body the body double theme song was the last couple of years a lovely choice. Uh, Karen, uh, do you have any final thoughts? Any most loved scene that maybe we didn't get to? Yeah, actually, a, a big one. Uh, everyone always talks about the campery of, you know, the um, the fantasy scenes, but it's yeah. them smoking pot just before <laughs> oh, they right. go into it. Yeah. Right. That is, for me, the greatest scene. I mean, it, it's like they're really high. And for me, as an Australian, someone outside of the US, I guess, uh, I always find it so funny that Dolly just pulls a gun out of her purse while they're high <laughs> right. and that, that's a thing that they laugh at and that's not weird i just think that scene's hilarious when they're telling the story about her shooting the, you know when she's talking about shooting the hole right through her purse it's just so and then when and then when when jane uh is like keeps eating the chicken leg and she's just like it's just <laughs> so it's good so <laughs> <laughs> and it goes on for longer than it needs to it's just it's brilliant and Lily is housing that jar of olives. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what their breath was like at the end of that. I'd make out with any of them yeah. all night long. Jake, is there any scene that we didn't talk about that's a particular favorite of yours? That was, I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's one of my, probably my favorite moment in the whole movie that we just, that we just discussed. Cool. I, um, I love that. I also have to give special mention to Roz the spy when she's in the yes. bathroom there's no better picture of like a stooge for the man. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like the woman huddled on the toilet, scribbling on toilet paper. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. can you imagine like spending any more time than you had to in the public bathroom at an office you worked at. I also love the shot of Hart's wife or no, it's, it's Ra It's Roz. Cause Ra no Roz is sent to Paris. Yes. I love the shot of Roz on the airplane being like, <laughs> <"Bonjour."> <laughs> Merci. Merci. That is pretty good. Um, I love the closing, cr the, 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 you know, the credits when it says what happened to all of them. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, yeah. Mr. Hart ended up like lost and like. Yeah. 
He was like kidnapped in Brazil or something like that, never to be seen again. <laughs> That'd be a good sequel. You know, Heart, Frank in Brazil. I love that. That's a great idea. Isn't that great? Titles too. Yeah, it's perfect. I'm much, I'm much more into the idea of a sequel than a remake of Nine to Five. So that's what it seems like they're doing, right? I don't know what exactly the story is, but God, it sounds wretched. I don't. Know <laughs> we'll just have to wait with bated breath. But it's just going to be. It's there's no way it's not going to be awful. Yeah, I'm sorry to be. I'm sorry to end this on a negative. <laughs> And I, I I I love all of them, but um, you can't do it with nine to five. You can't do it with Ghostbusters. You can't do it with these like it's just you can't touch it. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of the nine to five movie club. I'd like to thank Frankie Moore once again for suggesting this movie club, and of course, I'd like to thank my fabulous guests, Karen from Finance and Jake Shears. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. What a blast! We'll see you later next time, movie club. Love you. For more Movie Club delights and plenty of other stuff and things, head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. 